1: For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media.
2: I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On! Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, three friends go missing or are killed within weeks of each other. Their families wonder if the crimes are all connected. We'll review the podcast The Bakersfield 3. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist and host of The These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hi Kevin.
1: Happy anniversary, Rebecca. Hey,
2: you too, Kevin. How has it been? How has it been? Do you like your present?
1: Yes. uh, I've already opened my present, (laughs) and I found it to be very thoughtful. How about the one I gave you?
2: Um, It was really expensive, and I was very appreciative.
1: And it was wrapped so well, right? (laughs) (laughs) So in case you're wondering, everyone, we've been happily married for 14 years. That's right. Not all in a row. Really? Come on. It's a good (laughs) joke. Okay. Uh, Also with us. Toby's like, what the hell is going on here?
2: (laughs) Also, we haven't yet opened our presents because, you know, (laughs) we taped this before we air. which I think people understand, but I'm just pointing that out. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Welcome back to The Living, Laura. Thanks, Rebecca. I no longer sound
0: like a sex phone phone operator. Yeah. yep, Sex phone operator. Somebody, uh, Elon Green said I sounded like Kathleen Turner. I, I don't know, but I'm back mostly.
2: And finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the city trilogy of novels, host of strange arrivals and our Patreon deep dive book club podcast host, Toby ball. Hi, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. All right. So, Kevin. Yeah. This is Monday's program. Tis. What is coming up on Thursday's show?
3: Thursday, we're
1: going to be talking about the three-part series on HBO and Max. It's called Murder in Boston, Roots, Rampage, and Reckoning, and it's a look at the Charles Stewart case.
2: Ah. So, Kevin, before we start talking about what we're talking about, can I ask you to solve a little mystery for me?
1: Uh Oh, shit. Okay, yeah. Do you
2: see what I'm drinking right now?
1: It looks like you're drinking hot chocolate. With two giant marshmallows in it.
2: Correct. So when I went to retrieve these two giant marshmallows, yeah, these two giant marshmallows are stored with our s'mores supplies. Uh huh. And um, I recently asked you to buy some s'mores supplies you because did? we yeah. yes because okay. we had like we were going to do a fire pit for our Thanksgiving party, but which you didn't end up doing because people didn't end up going outside. Anyway, so the s'mores mm-hmm. supplies have not been used. Right? There's a full bag of marshmallows, mm-hmm. a full box of graham crackers, mm-hmm. and an almost empty. <laughs> a package of full-size Hershey's chocolate bars. What happened to those Hershey's chocolate bars?
1: Okay, one, I do not recall purchasing any of these supplies. You did. I did. Okay. I don't know. I have not had a single one of those. Okay. There are other people live in the house.
2: All right. I was just checking. But
1: I would fess up to it. This isn't a closed-door mystery, All right, <laughs> This isn't an Agatha Christie. Well, Do I need
2: to investigate?
3: Well, you can eliminate the dogs, right? Because it's poisonous. Yeah, the there's
2: one thing I'm saying, though, is that right next to the full-size Hershey's chocolate bars, there's a giant bag of leftover Halloween candy, and right. that has not been touched. Only mm-hmm. the first full-size yeah, Hershey's I, chocolate bars have been mostly taken. And I happen to know that that is one of your favorite snacks.
1: It is. And I would confess...
2: However, it's not you. It's not me. Hmm. Is it sleep eating?
1: I don't know. Why'd you get Lars trail Cam?
2: <laughs> oh, a good yeah. idea. All there right. you go. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to see if we could solve that mystery. I, I guess we're not going to solve that today.
1: I'm solid on this officer. I. <laughs> you are putting words in my mouth. I was not there. I did not take the candy.
2: Okay. I guess I need to send a text message to the child that's home from college upstairs. Eh? Yeah. All right. I guess I'll do that. I was pretty sure I had the culprit sitting next to me, but the read technique did not work this time.
1: Although I will also point out, you bought these thinking that people would go outside and make s'mores in late November. It was and hot. And I do think yeah. you overestimate the enthusiasm people have for standing around in the dark and cold in general. You think, oh, we're going to open up our deck for uh, visitors in late April. Because people are going to want to hang out there.
2: I haven't heard of being cozy. People do have fires outside, Kevin. It's a thing.
1: They have big fires that they can stay warm
2: Wait by. Wait a minute. You're the one who always told me that you used to be a Boy Scout. So what are you talking yeah. about?
1: I used to. <laughs> and I don't go around hanging out in front of fires because I have a fucking house. Okay. All right? Yeah. I Stay inside. And I am nice and warm, but I just think that you completely overestimate the amount of people who are enthusiastic about doing that.
2: Well, if anyone listening to this is interested in coming over (laughs) and standing outside with me when it's nice and crisp out Mm -hmm. and sitting in one of our comfortable Adirondack chairs in front of a hot fire and making some s'mores on a day that is nice and crisp, let me know.
1: I know there are people out there that enjoy that, but I think there are actually more people in the world who enjoy black licorice.
2: Oh, I then love enjoy- black licorice.
1: See, right there. Boom. All right. <laughs> okay. That's that's very telling.
2: <laughs> Toby, where do you land on black licorice? Yeah, or nay? I'm down on black licorice. Yeah.
3: I do like hanging out when it's cold by a fire. Like that was kind of a COVID thing too. Mm-hmm. It was like a way you could hang out with people during COVID. Yeah, I actually went to my buddy's when it was probably five degrees <sighs> out and he built a big fire, but I had a lot of snow pants and like my jacket and- It was cozy, you know, right? I, well the side of me that was facing the fire was cozy <laughs> the side of me that was facing the other direction was pretty freaking cold alright
2: well I just you know I like to have opportunities for people to do what they might think is cozy and sometimes they don't and that's okay mm-hmm. that being said mm-hmm. I don't know where the fuck my chocolate went and that's the real mystery here <laughs> alright speaking of mysteries I think we should talk about what we're talking about in this podcast what you do y'all you say
1: you sure you don't want to pause and go to the store and just get another box of fucking chocolate bars <laughs> no. and be done with it
2: I think we have enough to make a couple of s'mores no matter what all right let's go ahead and talk about what we're talking about and drop that first clip kevin should we
3: say that we're leading off Leading off a built-in part of that routine for me at 17 news was to go to the courthouse once a week and look through search warrants doing this probably hundreds of times i can only think of a few instances when i found a search warrant that was to put it simply anything good in 2018,
2: Micah Holsenbake's family said the 34-year-old banker went missing from Bakersfield, California. Two weeks later, a friend of Micah's reported his 20-year-old girlfriend, Bailey Despot, also vanished. Just weeks after that, another friend, 38-year-old entrepreneur James Colstad, was gunned down in a quiet neighborhood. Their families believed the fates of all three were more than a coincidence. Suddenly, they found themselves looking at all three cases. They were connected somehow. We had gotten enough information that we we knew they had shared friends. The three were loosely connected in a world filled with drug addiction, sex trafficking, and illegal weapons. The mothers of the so-called Bakersfield Three banded together to alert the public, keep pressure on investigators, and support each other, all while Bailey's boyfriend publicly taunted her mom. But as new evidence turned up, the answer to what happened threatened to tear their alliance apart. It, it started out a very nice day. And it ended as a horrible day. And it ended yeah. as a horrible day. From Case File Presents comes the 15 part podcast, The Bakers Feel 3. Host Olivia LaVoice draws upon her years of covering the case as a TV reporter. Using her police sources, intimate relationships with the families, and her own story, LaVoice walks us through a mystery filled with shocking twists. Spoiler alert. We are going to be talking about significant plot points from the Bakersfield three. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Now, Kevin, the first couple of episodes of this podcast, I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll say a big part of why I enjoyed the first couple of episodes was because of Olivia's talking about working as a television reporter and getting the story and starting to work the story. Did you enjoy that aspect of the storytelling here? I mean, that is a thread that carries through, but I thought that was particularly strong in the first couple of episodes.
1: Yeah, well, as a former TV reporter myself, I've always enjoyed when a a journalist discussed their process and what was happening sort of behind the scenes as they were doing their news gathering. Those observations, I think, are always interesting to me. And, you know, I, I think it's, you know, also a bonus here because TV crime coverage, TV like local TV news coverage, doesn't usually go extremely deep it just kind of goes with what's on the surface who's in court and then moves on to the next day so the fact that she you know was so well versed in the finer details uh, of the story was something that was impressive and also she doesn't like offer up conspiracy theories about you know this could have been that but she's really good at pointing out things that don't add up don't make sense to her so I definitely appreciated like with most podcasts where we have somebody that can tell their part of the story, like where they fit into the actual narrative, not somebody who parachuted in. I'm always uh, impressed by that.
3: I look back on the days where I'd wear heels and a dress while knocking on doors in a rough neighborhood in over 100 degree heat. Desperate to find someone who'd give me a soundbite describing hearing gunshots, which, by the way, is almost always the same. I thought it was fireworks at first. I want to ask you
2: a follow up question, because one thing that Olivia LaVoice does is she talks about what is the right and wrong thing to do very often when reporting a story like this. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, she'll say, you know, we want to talk about victims, but we don't want to talk about them in a certain way. Right. What did you think about, like, her approach there?
1: I wondered if she listened to a lot of crime writers on, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, no, I actually thought that also was great. You know, she says out loud the thing that we always say it's, you know, they light up a room, they take the shirt off their back, you know. That doesn't really say much and it's very derivative. And especially here where we have like three people that have like much more complicated lives than that. So I thought that the three victim-centric episodes were well handled and it really gave me a good picture of who they were and how they fit in and you know a little more of the the strangeness sort of on the surface of why like these 30-year-old men and this 19, 20 year old girl, like how they all fit together in the same circles, like how that came to be. I thought it was done really effectively.
2: Okay, so before we talk about some of our issues with the formatics of the show and the way the story unfurls, I want to talk a little bit about the story itself and the people at the heart of it. So, Toby, you describe the group of people sort of central to the story: Micah, Bailey. Of course, we have Sarah, who is Bailey's friend. Of course, we have Queen Matt Queen. Of course, we have um, you know victims also, but we also have sort of a concentric circle here of people sort of around them. Um, what do you sort of make of? what's happening here sort of among you know the the quote characters in this story
3: it's a weird group right so it's Matt Queen and Micah I don't even know how I I can't remember how old Micah was but I think probably in his 30s Matt Queen was in his early 40s they both seem like fairly successful people in their fields so why is Matt dating a 20 year old and then they're hot (laughs) There's just like these weird details that come up. Like, so their hobbies are building high powered ghost guns, (laughs) which, you know, I mean, they're, they're building assault rifles with no serial numbers. So they can't be traced, which is like just a strange hobby. I would think, especially for people.
2: I don't think it was really a hobby.
3: (laughs) Who ostensibly aren't going to use them. Right. I mean, it's, it seems like it's like a business, obviously they talk later about how they like to, Talk and joke about you know sexual assault and human trafficking and like that's just kind of like the stuff they cut up about in the downtimes while they're making their ghost guns. So it's this weird thing of like older men and younger women and sort of success, but also this really seamy side. And they they definitely seem to hang out with people who who may be dangerous. And I believe Olivia says at one point that she's sort of warned off the story by somebody is saying like, these are the kind of people who will make other people disappear. So yeah, it's, it's strange. And I guess Matt lives in a nice neighborhood. There's a little bit too much of that for my, my taste This like, kind of like they're from a nice neighborhood. Who would think they would do something like this?
2: That's all coded language, right? Right. That was problematic to me too, because especially as an episode where she talks about covering three murders in one day and two of them are right. murders, neighborhoods where murders happen. Oh, that
3: totally makes sense for it to happen there, but not exactly. here. Exactly.
2: That was, that was problematic. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's definitely kind of an eccentric group and you could see where based on the dynamics that you hear about, like bad stuff could potentially happen.
2: Yeah. So one of the things, Laura, I know that let's just. I'll say it, you have issues with the length and amount of detail in the podcast. You're not alone, by the way. Someone on our subreddit went at a lengthy post that was just about that. So I know you're not alone and I share some of your feelings too. But I want to ask you just sort of about the case itself because some of the things that Toby just mentioned stood out to me as just like basic, strong questions that were just kind of like hanging chads that I feel like could have been answered. Like Matt Queen's wife, ex-wife or wife living with him his obvious pattern of abusing and love bombing women. To me, it's like the ex-wife is obviously kind of a victim in this situation. Like She's obviously part of this weird, controlling, narcissistic, crazy man's world, right? When we hear the text messages that Matt Queen sends to Bailey's mom, he thinks he's a powerful, scary man, and he treats people thusly, Right. Oh, right.
0: And, and even Bailey, you know, there was, like, a lot of talk about her just like, talking smack and trying to be scarier than maybe she was. But with regard to Matt and Bailey and all this, like, weird dynamic that was going on, I mean, there were a couple things where I'm like, jeez, I would have maybe drawn the logical conclusion and asked that question. Like, Bailey, when they were, like, talking about how, like, things were changing with Bailey, and she's, like, going to parties, and then she's, like, there's pictures of her, like, passing out, and then, like, these— SUVs are picking her up and taking her to parties and she's using drugs. And I'm like, okay, so the logical question that I would have posed at that point is, is she being pimped out? She being trafficked. And why are we not talking about that at this point? Why are we making it like this like, oh well, and then these things were happening and those things were happening? And I'm like, the level of detail about every single move people were making, but sometimes I was looking for like a broader. context of like, what does this mean? Like there was a similar situation later. We're talking about that guy, what's his name? Caleb, who's zip tied to the chair. And they're like, and then what happened? And then what happened? And then what happened? And I'm like, okay, so are you going to ask him, like, what was the guy saying to him? Like, why did he zip tie him to the chair? Not just like the fact that he's like getting shocked by the shock collar and that these horrible things are happening. And then he gave him like a band aid or something. Like, so I feel like there was like bigger questions sometimes about what people were doing at different parts in this story that I wanted to have a little bit more conclusion drawn on, even if it's just posing a question to the police, like, well, geez, when you hear Bailey's parents like describing all this stuff, does it seem possible that she was being trafficked and that she was being pimped and that this was because of her, Her drug addiction that she was, you know what I mean? I just felt like I wanted a little bit more in that area. Well, I was
2: able to draw a character sketch of Bailey on my own that I I just don't feel like other people got to where this young woman who was the victim of a horrible, brutal rape. Her whole life changed course after that. Right. And she ends up, you know, getting into this world of drugs and this very dark world. All of, I mean, her mother very clearly describes a situation where she's being trafficked. Like there's pictures on her phone of her being passed out. Multiple men doing drugs off of her passed out body in hotel rooms. Her saying she doesn't want to go, but has to, uh, there being all these threatening situations. Why wouldn't the logical conclusion be that her relationship with Matt Queen is an extension of that? And that her personality that develops is a defense mechanism, like what people call a crazy, defensive, violent her, like that's what who she becomes in that world. She's no longer this innocent young person, but she's a victim who has turned into that. And I just feel like there's a clear line there that we don't get to because, and we'll talk about this. The heart of the podcast, Kevin, becomes about the three parents and and the view of these victims is exclusively through the the three parents which is also it's not a it's not a terrible decision but that does become the major focus of the podcast what do you think about so much of the podcast being through the points of view of these three moms
1: well, no, I mean, I think that's really the emotional heart of the story to begin with. And the unusual thing right here, because there are crimes where there are multiple victims, but we don't usually see like the family members come together in this particular way, where you've got these three moms and, you know, they're supporting one another. And then it's like when you get to episode 11 and you've got this big twist, where all of a sudden we find out that police believe that it was Bailey who killed Micah, then one of the things my mind immediately goes to is that, okay, these mothers have been there for each other emotionally and now you've got like this accusation that comes that Bailey killed Micah and then how did they react to that?
0: I, I were see, both feeling yeah. bad and I, I would say, have you talked to Jane? And she'd say, no, I haven't,
2: you know, talked to her for days and I'd talk to Jane, have you talked to Cheryl? No, I haven't talked to her for days. What am I going to so say? There was, there's this little bit of a distance, not that they had anything bad to say, I just think it was weird. It was just an uncomfortable, so I was the middle person.
1: It was just weird. The emotional implications for them and for us as a listener, I think, is huge, because it's like they're the only ones they have for each other in this way, the only way. And then you have one who's like, "Oh my God, is my daughter responsible for your son's?" Disappearance and how do you, you know, how do you mend that relationship? It can be very hard to do that. And so you're just like, okay, well, I wonder how this is going to play out. Are they all still going to be friends? after this, because you might want to take sides. Sometimes you want to like signal your support for one another. Like you might signal your support for us at Patreon.
2: Yes. What a graceful transition to the business section, Kevin.
1: Yeah. When you join us at (laughs) patreon.com slash partners in crime media, you get all sorts of great stuff. Like you can get the crime writers on after show. Yes. And uh, this week we're going to be talking, we've got some true crime updates here. Uh, Last week, Gypsy Rose Blanchard uh, was released from prison. Who's that? She was the, uh, the daughter in the Mommy Dead and Dearest. Yes, I know. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, it's been a while since that, you know, that, uh, again, a classic podcast, or a documentary, I should say, but an extremely interesting case. And so now that she's out after at least a decade in jail for um, being involved in her mother's killing, but this was the mother who, you know, uh, Munchausen by proxy keeping her sick, shaving her head, making everybody believe that she had all these weird medical issues. She's out. So we're going to talk about that. We also have other great things at Patreon. Uh, Toby's got his Deep Dive Book Club. And uh, for January, folks need to start reading The Angel Makers. We also have Married with Podcast, which is a podcast in which Rebecca and I dole out relationship advice. And in this one, we have a listener who wants to know, is she too old to get a tattoo? No. And yeah, that's the answer. But Next I'm question. Next question. <laughs> we went into it a little deeper than that. And we also have Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast. Laura, you investigate mysteries, or at least mysteries to you, in your quaint AF town of Exeter, New Hampshire. Yes. And what the hell is going on?
2: What the
0: hell is going on is right, Kevin. My mysteries, by the time this podcast comes out, I will have been back out in the field. But the rain has kept me away from the latest mystery, which is who is hanging Slim Jims and Cheese in trees in one of our quaint little parks downtown, and why? And this is a mystery that the whole town wants to know about. Everybody has been speculating in our town community forum what is going on, and so I can't resist finding out. Can I just
2: ask a a very basic question like that Olivia Lavois maybe should have asked? Like, do Slim Jims and cheese just grow on trees, and maybe (laughs) those are just like Slim Jim and cheese trees?
0: Maybe. Maybe it's a Slim Jim tree, and maybe that is actually something that I have not known my whole life yeah. and now I'm like going the, to be Like able- the spaghetti trees in that old video.
3: Yeah. Are they packaged Slim Jims yes. or are they just? Yes. Yeah.
0: But some of them have been opened which makes me wonder the ones that are opened what animal is eating them and on un- wrapping them or is it a person my game camera
1: might have to come out for this to get to the bottom of yeah this. you know they could test the dna but if it takes a year to test the dna on a severed <laughs> arm yeah how long do you think <laughs> it's gonna take to test the dna on a fucking slim gym? a long time long time i tell you you don't th- want to th- test
2: the dna at a slim gym. i'm between, just gonna throw it out there between
1: this story and the phantom dog pooper of exeter you know one thing i hope <laughs> never happens to exeter what they get security cameras nope because they could solve these mysteries really fast, but I'd much rather have Laura Bricker know. That's her right. To I'd
2: rather much have them be mysteries.
1: So, if you join us at Patreon, you can get more than 450 exclusive podcasts and all sorts of other great things. Just go to patreon.com/slash Partners in Crime Media.
2: All right, Kevin. Does that end the business section?
1: Thus ends the business section.
2: Let's go back to our conversation and fade that music out right now. So, Toby, before the break, we were talking about the moms who are at the center of this. Obviously, James, Bailey's and Micah's mom who kind of come together as, you know, victims' moms. And, you know, they end up raising money together for the tip line. They end up raising money to get search equipment that their county doesn't have to search for body parts in the river. They end up being a huge support system to each other. There's a lot of them in this podcast. And I'm wondering whether or not you think that is is it good service to the story to have them be such a huge presence in the podcast?
3: You know, I, I feel like that's a fairly subjective thing for me. I think they're, they're in there in their way, way, way too much. I can see why Olivia would have wanted to go with them because they I mean, they've got an interesting story in and of themselves, but I think it moves after a while just like too far away from the central you know, mystery, which I think is compelling enough on its own that you don't need to bring in this other thing. Like, I think it's a nice story and I think you could do an episode on it and then have it sort of recurring from then on out. But you do spend a hell of a lot of time with them and their emotions about things and talking about things and things they do on the side and and all this. So after a while, when you go back to the actual mystery, you'd be like, okay, got to re readjust and figure out what's going there. And, I, you know, part of it's probably access too. She has a ton of access to the three of them. And then otherwise, like access to like the main players seems fairly limited, you know? I mean, I think she, she can talk to cops and stuff like that, but Matt until the very end and, you know, Micah's dead and Bailey's missing and talks to a few other people, but it's not super enlightening certainly not enough for a 15 part podcast
2: we we began leaning on each other
0: early on because who else do you call and it was nice not to be walking that walk alone
3: we could call each other anytime
0: day or night
3: I, I can see why she did it but for me there was way 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 too much of it and it just kind of diluted and then also lengthened a podcast that i think ideally might have been like You know, eight or ten episodes, eight or ten like super, super tight episodes about this interesting group of people and the stuff that happened to them rather than this sort of sprawling has out affected families and, and, and things like that.
2: I completely agree with you because she says something near the end where she talks about, I don't even know if it's near the end because at the end, it seems like the podcast ended like four times. But she talks about moving from this community to a different community and how she had to say goodbye to the women and how it's like, is this professional that I have this relationship with them? And I'm like, that's fine, like that you have worked with them for a really long time. But then I realized like, What's not great is that so much of this story is now, a, is, are they the Bakersfield three? Like these three women, is that who are, mm-hmm. Is that who this podcast is actually about? Because near at the end of the podcast, and obviously we're in the spoiler territory. And Laura, I would love your take on this because she talks to Matt Queen and he says, you know, I want my truth out there. And she's like, listen, like if I find something that helps you, like I am going to report it. And then there to me is this super interesting section where she's like, going through the phone records. And like, I thought I found this somewhat exonerating detail and here's what I found. And it reminded me of the beginning of the podcast where I was like, Oh man, this is like a tight thing where it's like this reporter. She may not have access to a lot of the people, but she had access to all the shit. She had the search warrants, the arrest records, all the files. She had access to the every, she knows this case inside and out. And she knows how to lay it out in a way where which details are important. But then when you go to all the mom stuff, it does suck the energy out of that, like what we're supposed to pay attention to thing. Is that, is that how you felt about it, Laura? I felt like there were two stories here.
0: There's a nice human interest story about the mother's bonding, and then there's a murder story. And I feel like what happened for me anyway, is that it was like we had all the information. She clearly had access to all the information. That doesn't mean you need to use all of the information. And so it was like, and then this happened and then that happened. And for me, it started to get very repetitive, even when we were like talking about the mothers and like analyzing how they were feeling and what would they be doing? And I'm like, we already heard this. And and so that, to me, took me away from feeling any sort of tension in the story to follow the story Because it all started to kind of blend together in terms of the narrative arc that was happening at that point. And then she'd be like, well, you remember, you may recall from episode one. And I'd be like, episode one, that was so long ago, I don't even know what happened in episode one. And so I think the story itself and the murder mystery itself could have been told in a way much more succinctly and structured in a way that it wasn't just, it felt like this very chronological, like, old time true crime book story is what it felt like to me of like chapter one, this happened, chapter two, this happened, just kind of going through everything that was happening as it was happening in the investigation. And then that did, like you said, it kind of sucked the life out of the actual meat of the story, which was what the fuck is going on with these people? And so I was like, I felt like it could have benefited from like that nut graph of like, here's what happened. Here's who did it. Here's who's been arrested. Here's the story. Because as it went on, I was like, wait, wait, who's this person? Like, what are they doing? And that was unfortunate because this is a really bonkers case. And there was sometimes there was weird stuff with the audio, too, where like she would talk, but she was definitely like off mic. And then the person that she was interviewing was sounding good. And I that also kind of took me out of the flow.
1: Yeah, see, I experienced it differently, Laura. I'm for one, I will admit that this is really dense and she does try to signpost a lot of things, but there are people that are involved. And, you know, I, I actually, we usually like give podcasters credit for like reminding us this person was somebody we heard in episode three and continuing to give context. And I agree that like this could have been tighter, like 15 episodes, even though some of them are like 20 minutes long is a real barrier to entry for some listeners. And it could have been tighter with fewer episodes to make it kind of feel like a good conventional podcast. However, I loved the mystery of it. So to sort of like tip the hand, like I was just, I had no idea. From the beginning, I'm also thinking, oh, this is one of those ones where we're not going to find out anything that happens and hopefully the story is good enough so that when it's over, we're like, that was well told. So when things would develop, I would be like, whoa, fucking, whoa, that's crazy. You know, I was totally into the twists and turns and the suspense. And I thought that, you know, even though, in the end, we're not certain what happens to James. You know, it's kind of left open there that maybe the brother knows or whatever. And it doesn't seem like James is actually his murder is connected to the other two disappearances. And if I'm a cop, I'm still thinking that Matt Queen knows more about what happened to Bailey than he says. So on why? the stand. why
2: because of this like this conversation
1: it well, <laughs> is phone call i seen on the cake was definitely him calling up uh, olivia towards the end there and he's like he's always like well i know things but i can't say which is immediately code for the secret i'm carrying is just bullshit and i think people will believe that i have honor or i'm fearful of my life more than they will believe that i'm a liar and a killer like i said i'm not going to go into it there's there's a lot more to it that i, I can't say i just can't
2: she told you I mean, she was leaving. That, yes. What did she say?
1: I'm not going to go into it. I can't. I mean, you know why she left. No. Listen, she killed Micah. I'm not. Uh, do we? Uh, do I have to go over this? Look, it, it's frowned upon in here to be talking about another person's case. I found it all really int- intriguing. I was totally into it, and while I think that it could have. Been improved with some some of these edits you're all talking about. I was still in,
2: so I will say a couple of things about. I want to give Olivia props for one big choice she makes with mm-hmm. the brother interview, James's brother. I love it that she points out that James's brother was misusing substances and was in in the throes of addiction when she interviewed him and no longer is. That was a very good choice because it basically showed like sort of her ethical like line where she's like, it, it kind of was like, I wouldn't have used this interview if it wasn't okay to use kind of situation. And I really appreciated that. But I had a question and Toby, I wanted to ask you this question because I think the Matt Queen interview, one question that doesn't get asked, and I know that there are this is like pre-trial, so moms aren't talking about it, it occurs to me they're hanging an awful lot, the police seems, on, you know, things like taped phone calls between people and so forth. Matt Queen, in my opinion, is a very smart guy who's obviously full of a lot of shit, but at the same time is a smart guy. Doesn't it seem like they're hanging this Bailey accusation on some shit that Matt said? <laughs> like that's, that's like when they charged her, I'm like, are they just charging her because they have like some taped phone call? Of him accusing her on the phone to somebody else. And like, isn't it very likely that he's saying that because he knows he's fucking being taped in these phone calls? Like Like the
1: social media posts where he's wink-wanking.
2: Yeah. Like, what did you make of the interview with him and sort of what that sort of says about that kind of character?
3: Yeah. Like the whole thing about charging somebody who's probably dead, but you can't because you don't know she's dead. It's weird. And, you know, like you said, it's, it's like based a lot on what Matt says, but at the same time, it's like, does it really matter? Because it just doesn't seem like that's ever going to come to a head, right? She's either deceased or she's disappeared so completely. And this is probably any chance she had of like coming back is, is probably now.
2: But is it like, this if their right? theory of the case relies on her being a part of it, is that what do you think it was about? I couldn't figure out why the fuck they tried a, her. probably
1: a trial strategy. Yeah. Stupid. Yeah. If you charge him and not her, then like he just says, well, she did it, which is kind of what he said, but he's still charging him this way still makes him part of the crime in that.
3: Right. I, don't know. I mean, it doesn't seem like he's getting away with much, but I, I don't know. I thought that I thought that I
1: mean, getting on the stand and I'd say, no, it wasn't the cartel. I'm the one to cut up the body. That, yeah, was a, exactly. that was a great defense move. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. So he's obviously like sort of full of shit for a lot of it, and he's you know, it's like a Hail Mary. It's like, eh, well, she's making a podcast about it. I might as well go on and see if I can like make my case, since this is like one of the few avenues I have. I thought one of the kind of interesting sort of dynamics that came out of that is this whole where she's sort of pushing him on like these different relationships, I guess, that he has. And he's like, That's just not a thing. Like, I don't know why you're so obsessed with this. It just has nothing to do with the case. And I don't know if it did or it didn't, but it, it had me thinking about how, like from the outside, when you're looking at a case, like certain things will seem like super critical. And you were like, oh, that is really important point or whatever. When from the inside, and I'm not saying it's a case here, but I'm just like, you think about your life and just things you do through your life. And it's like, well. No, actually, that's just like some random thing. Like there's not not a connection there. That's just another thing that happened to me. And so I just thought it was, you know, and it may be a strategy on his part, but this idea that you sort of deflect from these points that people think are important and just say, oh, that's not important at all. That's just like normal stuff. The real thing is something else.
2: I loved that.
3: Yeah, it was an interesting like sort of. Perry,
2: I loved it when he was like, "True crime fans who listen to this, you know what they're really going to be interested in." That was like such a meta <laughs> moment.
1: Now, and I don't mean to bash all of your listeners because I mean you have a lot of people who are into this—the true crime fans. They like to they like to follow these things and, and play little investigators at home. But that's just—you don't have the facts. And it's it's one of the reasons why I'm doing
3: this. Yeah, I mean, I think it was good that they got it because they really don't have, you know, he's he's the voice that was missing up until then, right? Like, he's the center of this whole thing.
2: He's the center of the whole thing, yet I think that we are also missing some, like, analysis of domestic violence dynamics, sex trafficking dynamics. Like, there are pieces here that I think, you know, here's what happened, here's what happened, here's what happened. But I don't think that there's no way to answer the why. Like when you look at, I really don't. And I I, and I don't think it would have required speculation.
3: See, I feel like, I, you know, I, I can't remember specifically like how she sets up all these different things. But like the sex trafficking part, I thought that she had before that even came up, there was some thing about how there were various women. Oh, I think maybe it was Matt had sort of contacted and they were supposed to provide sex to people who he owed money to or something. as a way of paying off debts. Yeah. And so that that's kind of set up. And then before sort of Bailey situation. And I, I thought that was a pretty easy line to draw. And I think she probably didn't have like any concrete evidence of it. So she's like, this is a dynamic that we know happened with other women about her age This is what happened to her. I don't have any direct evidence that she fell into that too. But within that context, you know, draw your own conclusions. Right,
2: right. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. Should they check out the podcast, The Bakersfield 3? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Bakersfield 3? So I think I'm probably in the minority here. But for me,
0: honestly, this was a thumbs down. It was a slog. I can't remember any podcast we've listened to that has been 15 episodes long. And I think drawing out the length like that for me, I lost sight of what parts of the story were about. I, you know, I think it's a super interesting story. Now I'll give a caveat. This could be that I listened to this between the week between Christmas and New Year's (laughs) and all I've eaten is cheese and I don't know what's happening anymore and I'm already in foggy brain. (laughs) So that is my caveat to this. But I think that time of the year on top of the fact that this just went on and on and on, I was like, I felt like to me, it did a disservice to the story because it lost me because the story really could have been a lot tighter. I think this could have been six episodes and really focused on the story of this crime and what happened and the really bizarre dynamics here. And instead it was 15 episodes, some 20 minutes, some 50 minutes, some 45 minutes. So they were all over the place. And for me, unfortunately, I lost interest in the story because of the length of the podcast. And I feel like that is unfortunate because it was very well reported and there was a lot of really good information. So
2: unfortunately, thumbs down. Toy Ball, thumbs up or thumbs down for the Bakersfield 3.
3: So this isn't something that we talked about in the main review, but I think one of the, the good decisions they made was, it seems like they dropped it all at once, which I think was smart because it's a deep, deep dive. And if you had to parse this out week by week, I don't know how you could keep in tr- keep track of everything that's going on. I think the host, Olivia LaVoice, does a lot of things right. And as Kevin had said, like kind of things that we like to see in podcasts, and she actually does a little bit of sort of referring to pod, <laughs> podcast tendencies that, that we don't tend to like, like where every victim lit up a room and all that stuff. So I, I think she does. She has a tremendous amount of research uh, and reporting. It's a generally crazy story about a crazy friend group and the stuff that they do. I think the sort of decision that doesn't work out very well is to focus so much on the mothers of the Bakersfield three. And especially in the second half of the show, because it takes what's already a fairly long podcast and just makes it super, super long. And also I think dilutes sort of the central story, which is actually uh, very interesting. So, Well, I was listening to this. I listened to about half of it as I was driving around New Hampshire. And, you know, I think this is like a good podcast for if you if you have a a long trip somewhere and you just want to freaking dive really deeply into a story and just become completely immersed in it like this totally does that. Like it's really, really good on that. But, just in terms of like a normal podcast, I just feel like there's there's quite a bit of time that's spent on things that, and i'm I'm talking particularly about the story about the mothers could have really been shortened up quite a bit, and you could have still gotten the same sort of value out of it. So, in the end, I'm going to say I'm a mild thumbs up because I think where it's good, I think it's really, really good. And I think Olivia Lavoice shows good repertorial practice, and she she has all the stuff. And it's a generally interesting story. It's just that one decision to so center the mobs, I think really kind of stalls it out after a while. But the final episode is worth getting to too, because there's there's payoff there.
1: Kevin Flynn. I'm a thumbs up. Um, as you know, someone who is a former TV reporter who also sort of stumbled into the story of their career, I thought that the behind-the-scenes stuff was really great. I really liked Olivia La voice, and this is a story that is rich and has lots of twists and turns. I cannot deny, though, that it is dense and that the way it's presented over 15 episodes is intimidating, uh, and we've covered that here, and that it certainly could have benefited from a more aggressive edit and restructure so that you could get this, a lot of the same information, and do it in, like, eight episodes or something like that, even if they were more along, you know, 45 minutes or 50 minutes or whatever. It just would sort of not seem so intimidating, make it a little more elegant. However, I just really enjoyed the story as presented. Great mystery, great payoff at the end. I thought it had some really high emotional notes and also sort of adhered to a lot of what we've been saying on Crime Writers On for Oh, I don't know, seven or eight years now that um, you know, some of the best practices as far as uh, journalistic ethics and what makes really for a really good podcast. I will say this is the best podcast of the year, <laughs> and also the worst podcast of the year. But you know, whatever, you know, we'll we'll get ten more in there and we'll find out, you know, where it ranks. But I, I'm a thumbs up. Yeah. So. The first couple episodes
2: of this podcast, I was loving this podcast. And I came into your office and I was like, this podcast is good. Olivia LaVoice, by the way, is good. Olivia LaVoice is good. She's a good reporter. Great voice for this genre. Like, great, tight, like, knows how to write for audio is what I'm trying to say. Not a like physical voice, but she does have a good physical voice too, obviously. But um, I listened to the credits of these episodes. Two people worked on this show. There was a reporter and an audio producer and then a sound and then a scorer. So there's like... A music person. I didn't love the music, by the way. Orchestral stuff did not particularly work for me, but that's a pick. That's a detail. There's basically her and an audio editor, right? So she basically wrote this thing herself. And its huge weakness are the moments where it turns into a news magazine feature and gets away from the reported story. The huge strengths of this story are when you're following her as a reporter. She is clearly, this is her story, so much so, and this isn't a huge spoiler. It's just something that happens in the podcast, that when she's anchoring a newscast and there's a break in the case, they pull her off the anchor desk so that she can go to the scene. That's very unusual. That's super unusual. Usually, like, they would just send another reporter, but they're like, this is Olivia's story. Like,
1: Most she, people would think she passed out during the commercial break. Exactly, right? <laughs> so, like, this is
2: her story, and it is the story of her career, especially in this community. So, like, the huge weakness of this is that she does not stick to that. And my strong feeling is that because of her tremendous access and the empathy that she has for these three mothers of the Bakersfield three, it's almost like the betraying the subject versus betraying the audience thing. There is becomes this need to include so much of what they had to say because they said it, that everything they say becomes a precious gem or a precious pearl or, oh, and then they said this. We have to include that. Oh, that's so moving. Let's include that. The bottom line is the first time I heard Di say something moving, that was moving. Like, that's good. And then the next time, which is something different, great. But I heard Di say the same thing like 50 times. I heard Micah's mom say the same thing. I heard James's mom say the same thing. I heard Bailey's mom say the same things over and over and over again. And it took 60% of the punch out of this story for me of what could have been An incredibly tight podcast. Laura, I want to correct you on one thing. We have listened to many podcasts that we've liked that have been long. In the Dark Season 2 was 20 episodes long. Okay. Bone Valley uh, was 12 episodes long, which were an hour each. It is very possible for a long podcast to be good. This was just not an example of that. Because what made it long was what took away from the strength of it. So I will say the parts of this I liked, I really liked. But the parts that dragged it down make it a thumb sideways for me. And I just I hate I hate to land there, but that's where I land. And I'm looking forward to hearing the next podcast Olivia LaVoice makes because she's a good reporter, a really, really good reporter. But thumb sideways for me for the Bakersfield 3. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime of the of week. The
1: week. <laughs>
2: Foremen in Oxford are facing charges for a daring $6 million gold heist from a famous British castle in 2016. The burglars didn't escape with gold nuggets per se. They're accused of stealing an 18 karat toilet. The solid gold throne was on display as an art piece and was completely functional. Officials say the crap burglars raided Blinham Palace and took the loo, leaving only the flushing mechanism and the toilet paper roll behind. The theft also caused water damage to the 18th century castle. The objet d'art was made by conceptual artist Maurizio Catalan and titled America. Thanks, Maurizio. (laughs) The gold toilet had previously been on display at the Guggenheim in New York, where more than 100,000 people lined up to, yeah, pee and poop in it which gives new meaning to the expression museum goers. Oh, ouch. British officials have not said how they flushed out the thieves, but the gold toilet has yet to be recovered. So panel, what do you think happened to this gold toilet? Laura Bricker, what do you think happened to this gold toilet? I'm solving this
0: mystery right here, people. It's in Montreal with a man named Marcel who tried to like me on the dating apps (laughs) and said, if we matched, I would get the golden toilet.
1: And he had a picture of it. Oh my God.
0: Marcel, you have been
1: outed. <laughs> Toby, Mom, what Just you th- 14 more podcast episodes and you can solve
2: <laughs> it. Let's talk to Marcel's parents <laughs> again and again. Toby, what do you think happened to this gold toilet?
3: You can call I, the podcast I, holding It. <laughs> I, I think one of our former presidents may be, be using uh, it.
1: <laughs> Kevin, what do you think happened to this gold toilet? I'm not sure what happened to that gold toilet, but I once did have an 18-carat toilet. <laughs>
2: Ew. All right, we're going to end it there. Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you on. Sorry. We're going to end it there. Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you and find out more about Marcel. How can they find you on social media? Um, they
0: can find me at Laura Bricker, but Marcel he got really mad when I asked about the toilet, so he's history.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, Toby Ball
2: folks going to reach out to you. How can they find you online?
3: At Toby Ball and H.
2: Kevin Flynn, what about you? How can you be found?
3: I'm a Kevin P. Flynn.
2: And by the way, this dude eats no vegetables. So that was just a joke, but it was a lie, a lie, a lie, a lie. If you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our tremendously wonderful community in our official Crime Writers. On Facebook discussion group. All you gotta do is say, which one of us is your favorite? Today someone joined and said, Rebecca, Laura, Toby, Kevin, I don't know, I'm new, you all seem fine.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> we also have regular That's Facebook some sideways for all of Listen, us. Listen, yeah, I let her exactly. in. She seemed awesome. We also have a regular old Facebook page. Just go there, find the pin post, and then join the group. Get episodes early and ad-free at patreon.com slash Media. You'll also get the Crime Writers on After Show. By the way, someone and also said Laura Laura's my favorite so far Married with Podcast Laura Bicker's Leave it to Bicker Podcast and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons Our line editor is the wonderful Livy Burdette The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis Mississippi Studio otherwise known as Studio C the Closet in our New Hampshire basement where Kevin also has some lame ass excuse about using my SIM card on his phone to monitor my social media feeds why you gotta have an
1: android rebecca
2: on behalf of all the crime writers i don't thanks so much for listening we will catch you later later i'm rebecca lavoy and this is crime writers on crime writers on is <laughs> so
1: loud
2: yeah. i have like to shuffle some more papers loudly do your clip again hold on Clipboard. <laughs> okay, let's do that again <laughs>
1: Is in crime, crime media. media.